We're going to take our next step in our journey with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. Um, if you're visiting with us today, we began a, a study of the Gospel of Mark, and we're just going to kind of walk through it with the disciples with this intention, that we know that those um, men spent three, a little over three years with Jesus, and as they did that, they simply walked with him and learned from him. And at the end of that time, he was crucified, buried, resurrected to the right hand of the Father. Sent, God sent the Holy Spirit upon them. And those men who walked with Jesus for three and a half years then went and changed the world. And we concluded something. Our world needs some changing. Our world just as messed up as it was back then, isn't it? But God is just as strong and just as able to take a group of common people. You know what he loves to use? Common fishermen. I'm glad he likes to use fishermen. And so uh, common fishermen and common everyday tax collectors. You know, Pastor Pete, I think that one was a CPA. Matthew probably was a CPA. And so that's good news for you and Pastor Mitch, CPAs. But uh, common people that he uses that to just walk with him and he transforms us in the walk so that we become something different than we were in the beginning. And he can use us to flow through us. Because here's the deal, guys. God wants to do the impossible through you and me. But he doesn't do it by our ability and our strength. He does it by transforming us and empowering us with his spirit. And so as we're going to take this journey with Jesus, we're not going to take three and a half years to go through it. Our journey will be a little shorter, a lot shorter. But as we walk through it, my prayer, I hope your prayer, is that God is going to transform us the way he did those men. And he's going to use us to change our world because I know that Port Washington and Ozaki County need to be changed. And uh, for the good, by the power of Christ. And it is just as possible today. So today we're going to take another step in this very beginning of our journey with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. Two weeks ago, um, the last sermon I preached, um, we looked at John the Baptist. And I want to talk about him for just a minute because we need to think about kind of the historical setting that we're at here for the verses we're going to look at today to make sense. So we looked at John the Baptist and what we found about him is that, that he preached a message that is still relevant today. That he preached a message of repentance, turning from sin, and turning to God. And he did that as a way to prepare people to receive Jesus, the Messiah, who is going to come after him. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. And he set the stage for Jesus to come. And, and you know what? People still need to, to come to Christ. And so we still need to set the stage for them to come to Jesus. And we saw also about John that he had this unique, um, not only this unique message, but he was this unique character in that he was a transitional character in, in church history. That he was the one who God used to bridge the Old Testament and the New Testament by ministering as an Old Testament prophet and announcing that the promised Savior was coming. And that as he did that, he brought the Old and the New together and he bridged from the Old Testament system to the New Testament system. Well, the reason we bring that up today is because it's in that same line of thinking that we're going to come to our text today. This is this, this transition from the old system into a new covenant, a new agreement between God and man. An old agreement, an old covenant where animal sacrifices were made and, and all the priestly ritual went on in order to get men in a right relationship with God for a year until they sacrificed again and, 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 and took their sins and rolled them forward for a year. That that old system that God had established that we read about in the Old Testament, it's kind of confusing at times. Is how come you're killing birds and killing animals and killing goats and and all this stuff, that old system of, of, of sacrifice and priestly ritual is now transitioned into a new system, a, system, a new covenant, um, where we can be in a relationship with God the Father through Jesus the Son. So that's the setting that we're going to come to these verses in, this transitional time. 
Grab your Bible. Turn to the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to look at just a couple of verses today from the first chapter. Chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. It says this. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. I'm going to stop right there. I really considered doing something with these verses. As I was reading through it and thinking about our journey with Jesus, I really considered skipping over these verses. Reading them and said, you know... Do we really want to spend time, our precious time? We have one day a week that we come together on Sunday morning. We have Wednesday nights and different groups. But really, this is our, this is our big deal. We come together. Do I want to spend Sunday morning talking about these? And I kind of thought, well, let me just gloss over these. There's not really a whole lot of exciting stuff um, in here as you look at it kind of at the surface. But this is what I thought about as I, as I really talked to the Lord about it. I thought, Lord, how could I ever say that about your word? about glossing over anything, saying anything isn't, doesn't seem all that exciting. And you know what, friends, uh, so we're not going to gloss over it. Because here's what I, what I know about God's Word. That if God saw fit to put it in the Scriptures, it's significant. It's not only just significant, it's eternally significant, it's eternally important. And you know, I think there's something, before we even get into this, that I just want to make mention of, about church in general, about pastors in general. And it's this. My job and the church's job isn't to be a place of entertainment. Not that, that we, can't, we can't have fun, we can't be entertained. It's a place of getting people ready for eternity. And that's what it's all about. And I think kind of in our culture today, we're kind of missing that. We're kind of forgetting about that. And so we kind of feel pressured into just doing the fun and the exciting. Just doing the stuff that will make, make people just want to run and, and, and jump and shout and have fun. And I'm all for jumping and shouting and having fun in the right, in the right thing as long as we understand that the reason we come together today is to worship our God and to get ourselves ready for eternity. You know, we, we thought about it this morning just briefly with, with the reality of what Alina went through. When she was out on a boat with her friends having fun, not one of them on the boat probably thought about eternity until that tube hit a bridge and a person was killed instantly. You know, our, our reason we exist is beyond just today. It's about getting us ready for eternity. And these verses are about helping us get there. So let's look at them today and figure out what God has to say to us that's of, of incredible importance. The first thing that I want us to think about is I want us to ask a question of ourselves. Look at verse 9. It says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now i got a question for you. Why in the world did Jesus be baptized by John in the Jordan? If you were here with us two weeks ago, we looked at John's message and why John baptized. And we, we figured out that, that from what happened is John called people to, to, to turn from sin and, and to repent, to turn away from sin and to turn into a life of serving God. And as a sign of that, they would come down into the Jordan and he would baptize them, dunk them under the rivers of the Jordan, symbolically washing them, and they would come out symbolically clean as they turned from sin to God. And here we find the very next verse, John's doing that with people, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up on the scene, and Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, I hope you look at something like that, and you ask yourself a question that you think deeply enough when you read the Scriptures that you say, now, why in the world would he do that? You know, why would he do that since Jesus is sinless and therefore wasn't 
in need of turning from sin. He wasn't in need of repentance. Then why would he go down into the water of baptism with John as a sign of repentance, apparently, and be baptized in water? Why would he do that? You know, I hope you ask yourself those kinds of questions when you read the Scriptures. And this is why I want you to ask those questions and why we're going to ask it today. Because what I find is generally when we take something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us at first and we wrestle with it and we think about it and we ask questions and we, we, we kind of figure out, God, what do you, why would you do this? What happens so often is it usually deepens our understanding of who God is and why and how he works. So we ask the question today, why? Why would Jesus go to John and say, I want to be baptized by you? Well, understand, if you ask that question, you're in good company. Because John the Baptist asked the exact same question. Grab your Bibles and turn them to the Gospel of Matthew, the third chapter. We're going to see a parallel version of this exact text, the same story. It gives a little more detail. John, Matthew, rather, chapter 3, verses 13 and 15. You're going to see that John the Baptist asks the same question. Jesus comes down and John knows who he is and says, Why in the world would you come to me? Why would I baptize you? And, and here he gives a little insight into that. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13, it says, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. You know, John thought, why in the world would the Son of God, the Messiah, come to me to be baptized. He's sinless. And Jesus' answer to him helps us understand, get some insight into why Jesus came to him. He said it is fitting to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And the word I think that's really important there is the word to fulfill all what's right, what's righteous. Now I've heard a number of explanations of what Jesus meant here. People saying, well, I think he meant this or that. And usually they say something like the fact that Jesus, by being baptized, was being identified with those who he came to give his life for, that in a while he would die on the cross and he was identifying with humanity in this. And, and I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's part of it. But I think there's something more here. And I think it has to do with that word fulfill. See, let's remember. That's why we set it up with John looking at John the Baptist, a historical, transitional time in the gospel. Let's remember that Jesus is at this pivotal time in human history. That he is fulfilling, fulfilling the Old Testament system of sacrifices and beginning a new system where he is the sacrifice, where he'd be the sacrifice once for all. And by being baptized, Jesus is ceremonially fulfilling one of the necessary steps that was to be done in order to make a sacrifice unto God under the old system. You see, before the priests that were appointed by God were to make sacrifices, before they could do that, they would, they would have to put on their priestly garment, which represented the, the presence of God, and they put on that priestly garment, and before they could put on their priestly garment to make that sacrifice, they had to do something. Matter of fact, in Leviticus 16, it says very clearly, before you put on the garment, you must take a bath. They must, they washed themselves, and then they put on the priestly garment, and then they could make the sacrifice. Well, friends, in essence, I believe that is what Jesus does here. Although he had no sin, nothing to cleanse away, he bathes in water through baptism, preparing to make the ultimate and final sacrifice, which is himself. And then at his baptism, what do we see happen? He's, he's, ba he's bathed like the priest would, and then what does it say happens to him? The presence of the Holy Spirit comes and descends upon him like a dove. 
And what that really is, is he comes to prepare to make the ultimate sacrifices. He washes and then he puts on, or comes upon him, the sacred garment of the priest. The anointing of the Holy Spirit who descends upon him. See, on that day, Jesus then publicly begins his ministry as the priest himself and as the lamb himself who would come and would take away the sins of the world. That he would be the one final and complete sacrifice for the sins of man forever. Never again would would all these animals have to be sacrificed year after year after year after year. But he would come as the priest himself and as the offering himself and offer himself to God for the forgiveness of the sins of mankind. And in this process, he's beginning to prepare himself for that offering. That, I believe, is how Jesus is fulfilling all righteousness. By following the law that had been given to Aaron the priest for making the sacrifice for the sins of all man. And at his baptism, he begins the process of preparing to make the perfect sacrifice. Now here's the point I want to make about all that. I made all that explanation to show something. We can see God's plan for three and a half years later when he's going to be sacrificed. The details of it being started at the very beginning of his ministry. Three and a half years before his crucifixion, he is putting the pieces in place so that God can fulfill the promises, fulfill the the law, so that he can then come and give himself as a sacrifice so that man's sins can be forgiving. So God has this plan that started from eternity, and we can see very clearly just in this span of Christ's life that he begins to put the parts in place so that the promises can be fulfilled. And to me, that's an amazing thing to think about. That God has a plan... And then he works out his plan. And friends, here's the amazing thing for you and I to think about and to consider this morning. When we look at just this one part of Christ's life, that something as simple as him saying, I'm coming to be baptized. And the significance of the reality that that is part of a process that God is putting the pieces together so that salvation can be given to mankind. It's amazing for us that God to realize that God has a plan and that he's working it out. That God has a plan and he's working out. That he has a plan for our great big world. So many times we look at the news and we see things out of control and we say, you know, it's just, it's just chaos. We watch the news and I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I just, I just turn it off. I'm like, okay, I can't take any more. And I can't listen to one more bad story about one more bad thing. And we think it's out of control. Understand something, friends. In our little lives we may feel like we're out of control, but ultimately God's got a big plan. He's a big God and he's working it all out. And no matter how chaotic it may seem, God is putting the puzzle pieces into place. That God has a plan for your life as an individual. That sometimes we feel like we don't matter. Sometimes we feel like, you know, my life is out of control or my life is in chaos. But understand that God has a plan for your individual life and that he works it out in your life as you walk with him. And allow him to work in you and through you. Do you understand that God has a plan bigger for you and more eternally significant for you than you could ever make up for yourself? That God looks different at you than you look at you. That God sees you as more than a person who works in a factory, or more than a person who works in an office, or more than a person who takes care of children all day, or more than a person who preaches messages to people on Sunday morning. That God looks at you as his incredibly significant, important, hand-selected child. And that he has an incredibly important plan in place for you. And he's working it out through you as you walk with him. That God has a plan to do ministry in partnership with each one of you. 
that you have a job description that's a higher calling than the thing that you do that earns a living. That God ultimately has you as one of his, one of his ministers to take the gospel. Why do we do prayer circles every week? Because we're practicing. We're practicing to be ministers in the world. So that the next time you go to work and somebody says, you're not going to believe what happened this weekend. You've been trained on Sunday morning to operate in the spirit. To say, I'm part of the kingdom and God, I want to be used of you. And just maybe God's going to give a gift of the spirit of healing or a word of encouragement through you to somebody else in the workplace. And that's going to significantly change their life and they're going to come to Christ as Savior. You know, that's more important than making whatever widgets we might make. As important as that is, it's incredibly important. God has a plan and he's working it out. That God has a plan to reach your children. So often I sit with couples and they talk to me about their grown children and they, and they cry. And they talk about the fact that they're away from God. Friends, I believe God has a plan for your kids. And he wants to use you as a vital part to work it out. That God has a plan for your kids to come to Jesus. That God has a plan for spouses to come back. God has a plan for your neighborhood. That he puts you where he puts you on purpose. You live where you live if you asked him about it. Where he wants you to be. Why? So that that neighbor can come to know him as Savior and Lord. That you can be Jesus' hands and feet in that place. That God has a plan and he's working it out. And friends, when we see God's plan revealed in the kind of detail that Jesus, that the Lord by the Spirit chose to, to include in Scripture, that something is, that could have been passed over, something that, about Jesus being baptized by John, and John saying, why in the world am I going to baptize you? And we think about it and we recognize that it's all part of showing that the plan is being worked out. That it gives us confidence to understand that God's plan is being worked out in your life today. And sometimes we feel the plan isn't, but understand, based on the reality of Scripture, you can say, look it, as God is working out that plan, God's also working out His plan for me. And so, friends, take courage. Be encouraged that God has a plan and He's working it out and that you can trust Him to work out His plan in your life. Isn't that good to know? All that from just saying Jesus got baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, That's what we find in the very first verse today. Let's move on. Our second step today in our journey with Jesus. What else do we see in this text that we need to to grasp and understand today? And this next portion is vital in the day and age that we live in. You know what the next thing I see in the next two verses is? It's a word we don't find in the scriptures, but that we see in the scriptures. And it's the word Trinity. That we see revealed in the very next verses the idea of Trinity. The idea of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all being God, all being together, all being at one time. You say, you know, why is that so important? It's important for many reasons, just to understand the God we serve. But it's incredibly important in the day we live today. I think of the day we live in, especially in the evangelical church, our understanding of who God really is, is diminishing. And we don't understand a lot of times the very basics of who God is revealed in Scripture. And you say, well, why is that so important? Here's one reason it's very important. We see the one religion in our world today that is rising faster than any other religion. What is that? Islam. Do you know what Muslims say when they look at Christianity? Do you know one of their biggest stumbling blocks of why they don't come to Christ? 
They see the love of Christians, and I have many friends, especially we are in world missions, many friends who minister just among Muslim people, and this is one of their primary issues. They'll say, we see love, we see the reality of God, we like your gospel message, but here's what you have that we can't deal with. They say, you serve three gods. That you believe in three gods. You believe in God, the Father, another God called the Son, another God called the Holy Spirit. And you even go within Christian circles in other parts of the world, go to Central America and South America, and very often they change up who the three are. They'll, add, they'll take the Holy Spirit out of there and put Mary in there. They'll say, God's God, Mary's God, Jesus is God. And they say, we serve three gods. Well, guess what, friends? We don't serve three gods. We serve one. And it's important for us to understand the theology of the Scriptures and say, what's, what's God really saying about Himself? Well, this text is one of the clearest revelations of Trinity in the entire scriptures. We see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. We see it here. Look at the text. Mark. Not Matthew. This is an immediately coming up out of the water. He saw the heavens opening. He is who? Jesus, and the Spirit, like a dove descending upon him, and a voice came out of heaven, the heavens, saying, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Jesus, the Spirit, and the voice of the Father, all three. Now, I don't know about you, but the concept of the Trinity is incredibly, incredibly beyond my comprehension. Absolutely beyond anything I can comprehend is a trinity. When I try to grasp it, I get a headache. You know, may you say, well, you're not that smart. Well, I never claim to be that smart. But I'll understand when I talk about, when I think about trinity, I just, I just say, God, I just don't, I just don't get it. I look at it and I say, God, um, I can understand why the people in Islam say what they say. God, I can understand it. And I wrestle with it. We try to grasp it. You know, and here's what I want you to understand today. I think it's absolutely fine for you to say, I don't get it. It's absolutely fine. It's okay to say, I just really can't figure this one out. And I think that it's all right to to say that because we need to understand that God really is beyond us. That God is greater than us, and sometimes we forget that. And God is beyond our limited capacity to comprehend, and we just, we just can't get it. And I, I hope that as we think about Trinity today, that, that something, you're reminded of something today. That God is limitless, and God is infinite, and God is bigger than any little box we can try to put Him in. And I hope for your sake that your concept of God is so big that you can't, you can't get your arms around Him. That he's beyond definition because that's who the God we serve, the God of the Bible, really is. You know, God's existence as Trinity is just one of the mysteries of his greatness. And I don't understand a lot, about, a lot of things about God. But that's okay because he's my God. And I understand he's bigger than who I am. Listen, friends, for 2,000 years, Christians have been attempting to describe and to illustrate the Trinity. They say things like this. The Trinity is like an egg. There's the shell, there's the white, there's the yolk. Well, okay, but no, not really. Oh, God is like a tree. There's the roots, there's the trunk, and there's the leaves. Okay, but not really. 
Or God, you know what? I heard one person say one time, a, a, a scholar say, I figured it out, the best illustration, God is like space. There's height, width, and depth. Because it kind of fit into his box better. They were all exactly the same, but they were still distinct and different. Okay. But not really. You know, it's a wonderful thing to wrestle with. Trinity. But frankly, no one has ever really been able to grasp and define it. There's a reason for that. Because we can't define somebody that's infinitely beyond us. And that's who God is. But what we need to do today... As people living in a culture where just fundamental Christian beliefs and values are being challenged all the time, is that we need to stand upon the facts that are revealed about God in the Scriptures. And the first thing that we know that's revealed about God, this God of Trinity in Scripture, is this. And this is what you need to stand upon when you're talking to somebody who says Christians believe in three gods. Is that, no, we believe in one God. We believe in one God. The the foundational statement of Judaism which Christianity rises out of, is something called the Shema. In Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 is the Shema. And it says this in that statement. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Friends, we know that there is one God. No matter what we conclude, we must stand upon the fact that there is only one God. There's not two gods. There's not three gods. There is one God. So our starting place is that there is only one God. Yet scripture reveals God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In our text today, we see that all three are present at one time. And you understand that that's not the only time in scripture that our one God is revealed in Trinity. We see it at creation. At creation, we have God the Father um, at creation speaking things into existence. And it says how he did that. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John first chapter, the very first words of the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, the first three verses, it says, In the beginning was the Word. Is Word capitalized there? Yeah. Who's it talking about? Jesus. If you read the rest of the first chapter, you figure out that he's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So at creation, we have God the Father. At creation, we see we have the word through whom all things were brought into creation, into existence. So we have the Son, and in Genesis 1, it tells us that at creation, the Spirit hovered or brooded over the earth, over creation. So at creation, we see Trinity. We see Trinity other places. In the baptismal formula that Jesus gave in the end of Matthew, one of the most common verses we quote about going to all the world and preaching the gospel to all people, Jesus says this. He says, make disciples of them. And as you make disciples in Matthew 28, 19, he says this, and then baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Three together in deity. So we see that we have this idea of one God. And what we see we have one God, but displayed in three people. And in addition to seeing them together, we see that individually, each of them is established at God, as God in the scriptures. Let's think about that. God, the Father, is God. You know, no one ever really seems to question this, do they? No. 1 Corinthians 8 says this. It says, Yet as, as for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things and we exist from Him. So God... The Father is God. 
But you know that scripture says that Jesus, clearly, Jesus is God. Turn to the book of Colossians chapter 2 with me for a minute. I know we're looking at a lot of verses today. But I wanted to just give you a, a quick overview of this. So you say, it's not just something that, that we sing in, in songs. It's something we see in the word. That Jesus is the Son, it's also is God. Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Look what it says there. For in Him all the deity, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus, when you see Him, you see the, de- the divine. You see the fullness of God. Matter of fact, Jesus says to Thomas, when Thomas is questioning who he is in the New Testament, he says, Thomas, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the God, the Father is God. God the Son is God. And also, friends, the Holy Spirit is God. Flip to one more verse here. The book of Acts, chapter 5. An interesting story about lying. Use this one on your kids. On all of us. Revelation of the Holy Spirit. A story about two people named Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira are church people and they, they're trying to impress people. They sell some property and they tell people they sold it for this much, but they really sold it for more and they give what they, what they sold it to for the church. And they basically are trying to make a name for themselves and be, be celebrated as giving it. And really they're lying because they, you know, what was their money could do whatever they want, but trying to say, hey, we're, we're giving all our money away to God. And this is what happens in, in Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Think, look at the Holy Spirit here. He says, when Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Now in verse 3, who did it say they lied to? The Holy Spirit. And in verse 4, who does it say they lied to? To God. Holy Spirit and God are used interchangeably here, showing that the Holy Spirit is God. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 8, you can look it up later, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of God. So what do we have here? We have God in three persons, revealed the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but we see it repeatedly that we see that God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit are one God. Church, this is where the mystery comes in. God is one And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are God. And this is the mystery. This is what is revealed in Scripture. And somehow, God is one, but He revealed Himself, and He interacts with us in three persons. And you say, why? It's for a reason. It's for a reason, and this is a reason. It's also that that we can somehow come to know Him and understand Him in ways that our human limitations can allow. If God simply in His infiniteness tried to relate to humanity and our limitedness, we could never get it. But God reveals Himself in the Trinity, in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, so that our human limitations can somehow come to begin to grasp who God is. Friends, it's like the old hymn says, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. I read this one time about the Trinity. It says, try to explain it and you'll lose your mind but try to deny it, and you'll lose your soul. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. 
What an awesome God we serve, friends. Not only is He the creator and sustainer of all of us, He also loves us so much that He came to us in a manner we can understand, in the manner of Christ, His Son, so that we could look at Him and say we get who He is. And we look at Him, we see the fullness of the Godhead. He did that so that we could come to know Him. That's the God we serve. A God who loves us so much that he would, he, would, he would reveal himself in such ways that you and I can come to know him. He's a great God, isn't he? Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning?